U.S. post offices, known for letters and packages, famous for letters and packages and waiting in line. Nobody thinks much about them, so let's have some fun. Let's find out why U.S. post offices are secretly incredibly fascinating. Hey there, folks. Welcome to A Whole New Podcast, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt. I'm also known as Schmitty the Clam. I'm also known as Schmitty the Champ, and I am also, also kind of doing a different intro for this episode than other episodes will have, because it's a brand new podcast. You need to know stuff about it, and it's also, I think, a pretty self-explanatory podcast. It's called Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, and each episode brings you the stories, facts, and big takeaways about one everyday thing that make that thing actually the podcast title. You get it. You, you understand. Great. Every episode is focused on the most exciting stories and facts and research, so we won't say every single thing that's ever been said about the topic, but we're going to research everything we talk about, and I'm, I'm the kind of person who loves trivia, uh, who has publicly won some trivia contests in the form of Jeopardy four times, and I think I have a nose for this kind of story and fact and other thing that you'll want to hear about. Also, every episode has at least one fantastic guest, and I am joined by two of them on this one. I hope you've already enjoyed the comedy and writing and more of Caitlin Gill and Andrew T. In case you haven't, Caitlin Gill is a phenomenal stand-up comedian. Her latest album is entitled Major. It's recorded live at the world-famous San Francisco Punchline. It's available everywhere, and links are at CaitlinGillComedy.com. And Andrew T. is a television comedy writer on shows like Mixed Dish on ABC, also a podcasting titan as the longtime host and co-host of Yo! Is This Racist on Earwolf. Search the name in your podcast app. There you go. Those are today's guests. Also, I've gathered all of our zip codes and used internet resources like native-land.ca to acknowledge that I recorded this on the traditional land of the Catawba, Eno, and Shikori peoples and acknowledge Caitlin and Andrew each recorded this on the traditional land of the Keech and Chumash peoples. That is a new practice for me, and I think that feels worth doing on each episode of this podcast. Also, as you will hear toward the middle, it's extra relevant to this particular episode and topic. We'll get into that. Beyond that, you'll also hear the basic format of this podcast. You'll hear a ton of research. Source links for that are at our website, sifpod.fun. And you'll hear a heck of a lot of fun along the way, if uh, if I don't say so myself, and point to the, the top-level domain .fun that you can just put on a website. Anyway, let's get to it. Please sit back. Or keep standing in line at the post office, because the wait is worth it, and the workers are, like, holding the country together. Good for them. And either way, here's this world premiere episode of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating with guests Caitlin Gill and Andrew T. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. Andrew Caitlin, thank you so much for uh, the new frontier of this. We're doing it. It's very exciting. Yes. Yes. We're, we're doing it. We're all here in the exact same room, sitting about <laughs> uh, 18 inches apart. Yeah, I got this new thing I do where I sniff everybody's mouths. <laughs> it's this thing that I've gotten into lately. Pretty cool. I'm like ahead of the trend. Um, so I'm just trying to break ground on that. Uh, but that's been going pretty good. 
<laughs> uh, no, just kidding. I haven't made contact with a stranger in months and months and months. So it's really good to see the both of you. Hi, virtually. We're not in the same room. Nobody's been in the same room with anybody for a long time, which is a very dated way to start a podcast. But hey, let's anchor it. This is where we are in space and time. <laughs> it's going to be so funny when somebody in the after finds this podcast in 2023. And after three years of building an amazing library and a huge, huge legion of fans, someone new is going to be like, you know what? I'm going to start at the beginning and just be instantly thrust back into the memories of the before, of the during, I should say. There's the before, the during, and then the after. We're all conjecturing on what the after will be and when, but I don't know. Are you like on the road or are you like thinking it's going to go great? Oh, God. Well, uh, that's all that's all very true. And uh, no matter when people are listening to this, maybe they would like to be transported to a joyful world of fun things about post offices. And uh, all of these episodes are going to start with, hey, the guests, what is your relationship to this topic? So, Andrew, Caitlin, both of you, like, uh, how do you feel about the post office? What's it been in your life? I was just going to say I was wrong. I had been misled. I feel I feel like I bought into hype about the post office just being all lines and, and a chore in your day. And it took until I was a seasoned adult to realize what a miraculous service it is and what an incredible, like, idea it is and such a commitment to a neat ideal uh, that, yeah, I'm still curious about why they had such an odd bad rap culturally. But it's, I, uh, yeah, I went from being, uh, buying into the cultural hype about the post office being sort of a chore, <clears throat> excuse me, or a line you avoid, but I am now uh, wholeheartedly pro po- post office and very impressed with what they do. Yeah. Um, this is going to age me significantly, but I um, used to write a paper zine when I was in high school. I love it. Little, um, you know, go to Kinko's, put together 18 pages of pure, horrible bullshit (laughs) and send it. I'm not, I will say my, my high school girlfriend was the one who made most of the connections, but I guess it was just through addresses in other zines. We would write to people, send them the zine. We kind of became friends that way. I mean... Sort of all the function of TikTok, but it just would take two weeks to leave a comment. <laughs> um, so that was my teens. But so I was in the post office every other day in high school. I would go oh. constantly. Um, and then I realized our main thing that we did was in an attempt to defraud the post office. Um <laughs> I mean, because we were in high school, we were relatively poor, and, like, stamps was, like, becoming a major um, cost center in the zine production business because we had no revenue. Um, So we were trying not to spend money on stamps. So what we would do is when we sent zines to other zine people, we would cover the surface of the stamp i'm sort of miming it on the zoom chat right now with um with with water soluble glue (laughs) with the idea that the postmark on top of that stamp would would um rest on the glue and then later on that glue could be washed off along with the postmark and the stamp could thus be reused dang yeah (laughs) and so you'd get you'd get like three or four uses out of a stamp. It was crazy, crazy that we did this. Um, what a slick hustle. In, re- in retrospect, horrible. <laughs> it's good that I started this podcast to sting criminals because uh, the police will be coming in 
That's uh, momentarily. That's like for sure a federal crime I just described. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's like so. <laughs> that's like mail fraud. Definitely. And yeah. like, you know, stamps are legal tender. Anyway, we would do this like routinely. Um, I love how innocent, creative and productive your mail fraud was. I literally just stole mail out of mailboxes because I had no idea of consequence or inconvenience. I was a monster, as all children are before their brains form. It's not their fault. It's just biology. They don't understand that people need those bills. Uh, but yeah, that is that's a very charming uh, and creative way to defraud the post office. Uh, not little Tasmanian devil running around yeah. stealing mail in a posh na- It was a nice neighborhood. So in that sense, like, eat the rich, whatever, <laughs> their mail. But I am, I do uh, mm-hmm. apologize to whoever's mail I stole in 1992. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so I like the post office because I've stolen upwards of four to five dollars worth of postage from them I would, I would say. <laughs> right just doing the math it- and, and spending so much time in line too like that's very charming to me yeah i don't know in high school money that's a whole week's wages so that is yeah i mean that's significant savings no no as a percentage as a percentage yeah it was must do but in retrospect <laughs> it's just lunacy and then we, I got email, and that whole hustle just instantly disappeared. So I have to move on to other other frauds, <laughs> which I will not be confessing to. Yeah, don't worry. There's a whole world of fraud awaiting you. I, too, feel like the post office loomed large in my life growing up, but also uh, have never really known much about it. And uh, we're going to get into a couple of ways the post office is secretly incredibly fascinating. And to start off, we're going to talk about a quick set of fascinating numbers and statistics about the post office in a segment called Give Me Them Digits. Amazing. Uh, Also, since uh, this is the first week of the show, that name was submitted by me. We're going to have a new name for this segment every week (laughs) submitted by listeners like you. Uh, And I want them to be as silly and wacky as possible. The less good, the better. Submit your name for the numbers and statistics segment to at SIFPOD on Twitter or sifpod at gmail.com, please. I want worse stuff than give me them digits. I, I want it, so please. I think you've set the bar so high. I don't I don't know that that will be ever beat. Yeah, like, <laughs> no worse stats. name. I don't know. That's a, that's pretty bad. Uh, oh, yeah. You got, you got like, uh, oh. you got like. I can't get no satisfaction. Oh, oh. that one hurt. Yeah. Okay. My head. All right. This that is good. We could do yeah, this. Uh-huh, we uh-huh, could do uh-huh. this. Uh, <laughs> Count me in, huh? 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 Because also, if the name is song lyric related, I will almost definitely uh, sing it. So you can do that to me, (laughs) listeners. Uh, We can can set it up. It's great. (laughs) 8675309 and other numbers. (laughs) Clipping these out hastily in in audition. Okay. (laughs) Uh, so we've got a lot of stats here, and uh, a lot of them are coming from facts.usps.com because uh, the USPS has just put together like a whole list of crazy things. And there are currently 31,322 retail U.S. post offices in the country. Uh, so over 31,000 post offices going on. There are also about 60,000 other businesses that sell stamps. Uh, there's also over a thousand military post offices. There's 678 of them on land and 389 post offices that are on ships. 
Did you know that? We have like a bunch of aircraft carriers and stuff that have their own post offices all the time. It's great. That have post offices? That's wild. Imagine yeah. that postal route. You got a little bag. You're like all <laughs> tipping with the waves. Just going around <laughs> to different bunks. Giving a letter to a dolphin. <laughs> it is like kind of mildly mind bending to think that the post office could move. Like it has an address and a zip code, presumably. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But it can move. I guess that's the whole thing. It costs the same to send it wherever. So, you know, first class mail is first class mail. And and so much of that is in the stories here too. It's gonna be great. Uh, there's also another. Yeah, sorry. Oh no, yeah. no, it's it's awesome. I I said the one thing I knew. Yeah, it's it's awesome. <laughs> Please go ahead. <laughs> there's also another mind bending thing here. There are 141,900 blue mailboxes in the country. Right, because that's another place to put your letters. Uh, and if you laid them end to end, they would be 58 miles long. So that's just going on. Uh, we could we could build like a, a giant, you know, state border size thing of mailboxes if we want to. That's less than I thought, I got to say. I feel like there's so many of them everywhere. 58 miles doesn't seem like that much. Maybe it is. It is. <laughs> what am I talking about? They're weirdly everywhere. Like, I feel like you, I see one and I'm like, they have to do this one too every day. And they do. They're just always doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. They're very well, they're strategically well placed. That is a feat in civic planning in and of itself that like, I never have felt too far away from a blue post off post box. Like, I could be wrong. I'm sure there's someone out there listening who's like, I have to walk 25 miles in the snow both ways and my shoes (laughs) stay at home. I'm barefoot walking to get to the post office or postal box. But in my experience, towns big and small, if you look hard enough, you're going to see that little blue box somewhere. And also with the the post offices themselves, we've got stats on the biggest and smallest ones. The biggest U.S. post office is 393,000 square feet. It's the James A. Farley Post Office in New York, New York, 10001. It's the giant one in Manhattan that uh, I think people have walked past. Uh, It's a building that takes up two entire Manhattan blocks. It goes from 9th all the way to 8th Avenue and then just wipes out 32nd Street. There is no 32nd Street there. It's just a post office. (laughs) Uh, And it's also got a famous motto chiseled on the top of the building. Neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds and that's not actually official USPS uh, motto or, or meaning or anything. Just an architect picked it and kind of stuck it on the whole surface. They're just stuck with it. That's like, it's like, that's like basically the Green Lantern speech. <laughs> and it's just. It is. I, well. I, <laughs> it's like a from, it's just from that era where like you could like say like, you know, what, like four kind of insane couplets about what your job is and that was like fine (laughs) like this is how we do it puff your chest out stand up straight say say your and then that's that's like part of a job everyone had it everyone had it it does also mean that for centuries that's what it's taken to justify labor is that big sense of like we are the ones who will never be dashed in our attempts to valet these cars. We shall, under threat of all parking lot heat and all di- all parallel parking necessary, nothing shall keep us from jogging to your car efficiently. Like that has to. Right. There's some seal. It's also it's the, the weirdest thing about the era it's from is that I'm sure it was some like 20th century translator, but the quote is coming from the ancient historian Herodotus 
who was writing about like the Greek city states fighting the Persians. Uh, and so that quote is him describing Persian messengers 2,500 years ago. Oh, hell That's what yeah. he thought about them at the time. So the bad, the bad guys from 300, the kind of oriental terrifying weenies, had a good ass post office. Yeah, it's cool. Well, now this <laughs> explains the right wing antipathy towards them. That is all kind of coming together. Uh, and it's actually it is an interesting uh, thing to reflect on recently with the way the post office has been politicized. That we see evidence of what it's like when you privatize these kind of deliveries, sort of all around us. I feel like we're deep enough in now that I can say my mother lived in Mexico for a great number of years, and like that meant that postal couriers in two countries were pretty responsible for keeping us connected between those were the calling card days pre-cell phone days uh the true before um, <laughs> so yeah it always meant a lot and actually that reminds me like i think my main interesting story about my relationship with the post office is that i was in hawaii in normal times and i was sending a letter back to the states and i like argued with the guy about it only costing one stamp. I was like, no, you're wrong. It, it obviously, we're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Surely it costs more for some reason. And he was like, no, it's just the same. It's, it's when you, Andrew, when you were making zines and when I was getting letters from my mom, it's like, that's the way we communicated with the world. And we kind of, when email hit, that offered a new way to like stay in touch. But uh, the sweet, I think we've learned in the last 20 years, like, it's still so incredible. Like, there's no replacing the value of having somebody come to your house every day to take the things that you need to deliver somewhere else. Like, we found all the other ways that the post office is important beyond the sentiment. Like, it's so great we can stay connected uh, with our FaceTimes, our Zooms, our emails. But uh, the need for that system has not dissipated, which I think is kind of neat. Um, that's neat. That's that's the vibe I bring. Neato. That's special. <laughs> but you were giving facts and figures, and I have now dipped into personal anecdote corner, which is a whole different uh, side of a podcast. Give me more digis. <laughs> Tell me the num-nums. Oh I love it. We've got the smallest U.S. post office here, the smallest one in the entire country out of over 30,000 of them. It is in Ochopee, Florida, 34141. Uh, and it is 56 square feet. So it's like seven feet by eight feet is the entire size of the post office. So a studio apartment yeah. in either Los Angeles or New York. Just about. <laughs> it's a shower. Uh, over on Patreon, we will have pictures of this uh, tiny, cute hut. It's basically like a Snoopy's doghouse with one guy in it. And uh, it's in the Big Cypress Swamp of South Florida. Also, there's a picture from RoadsideAmerica.com where somebody visited it in 2015 and it was painted pink for breast cancer awareness, which is wonderful. But so the entire thing is a Snoopy doghouse that's pink and is also somehow a post office. Adorbs. My heart goes out to the carriers that just like got a new spot on the map that they had to deliver to because some intrepid soul decided they needed to live in a swamp. And there's just like a whole like train of people now that are just like, oh man. <laughs> Like, I get it. I'm going to deliver your mail every day, but I got to go where? I got to get a fan boat to do what? <laughs> what percentage of the um, material going in and out of that post office do you think is bullets and coke? <laughs> <laughs> do you think it's 
<laughs> you know what? I'm gonna. I have to do this every time I throw Florida under the national bus. The only reason we know Florida is so weird is because their sunshine laws are so uh, pervasive. Like the media can get hold of all police <laughs> records, which means it's an easy thing to report. When something weird happens, it's much harder to get records in other states, especially quickly. So like we don't know the weird stuff that's happening in Montana, and that's why everybody bags on Florida. Hey. So thank you, Florida, for all of your access to your public information. But I will continue to bag on you because your stories are <laughs> hilarious. I just mean to say that everybody's eating faces off with basalts all over the country. It's just that Florida's media can get it faster than other places, so the stories stay hotter. An endless fountain of news. That's so great. Well, and two more numbers here before we get into the first big takeaway. One of them is 10,578 feet above sea level, which is the post office in Alma, Colorado, 80420. It's the highest post office in the United States, 10,578 feet. Uh, which is literally more than two miles uh, up in the air above sea level. That's it's eighteen more feet. Well, than that. yeah, that's cheating. That's just that's that's not even a. You can't enter a competition if yeah. you're if that's not. Come on, of course it is. And then the lowest one is negative two hundred eighty-two feet above sea level because uh, it's in Death Valley, California. Nine two three two eight. I guess. Oh man, it is wild to think about any part of California being below sea level. I guess. We will be an island eventually, or a peninsula, but Jesus Christ. Well, and that's Death Valley's thing. Like, it, also, their post office is apparently the hottest and driest post office in the country. Like, it's just this place that is uh, unfathomably low and weird and hot. Yeah. Oh, the death one. The one where you die <laughs> if you go into it for too long. That one. What, what, what kind of valley? <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, quite low and hot. At least it didn't go, like, it didn't try to hide. Death Valley didn't go with, like, uh, come on over here, valley. The, nothing goes wrong in this valley, valley. It really just <laughs> went right out and was like, hey, heads up. Yeah. Just so as you know, that's the Death Valley. Uh, and that is give me them digits. We got the digits. We did it. Which brings us into takeaway number one about why the post office is secretly incredibly fascinating. There are tons of strange and cool and unique post offices. Like the, the numerical ones we did, but there's like a bunch more here that uh, I feel like people should be excited about how specific and strange a post office can be in the U.S. And the first one here is that there is a Grand Canyon post office that uh, receives and sends uh, its mail by mule. <laughs> it's just a mule train bringing it up and down, in and out of the Grand Canyon, almost like, you know, the trip of someone's life. These They just do this with the mail every day. It's amazing. Man. Is that, so is that like bottom of the Grand Canyon or? Yeah, there's a like tributary canyon directly on the Grand Canyon uh, where the Havasupai people are a Native American tribe. And after litigation and negotiating with the government, they got back uh, some of their, you know, uh, traditional land at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And so the town of Supai, Arizona, 86435, population 208, uh, is the capital of the reservation and then has its own post office. And so uh, it takes mules to bring the mail down and then back up from this town. And that's just the thing going on. It's a thing where we we don't know exactly when they started doing the mule thing. The first photos of it are in 1938. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Like, the mules have been getting it there. Why? What are we going to do? A helicopter? Just stick with the mules. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And then the process starts with a truck picking up mail in Peach Springs, Arizona, and then driving it 60 miles to a hilltop, where then mules carry it eight miles down to the town. And it takes them three hours to go down and five hours to come back up. And most of the mail is food because there's no grocery store in the town. Uh, so that's most of the mail they're receiving. 
uh, along with medicine and small appliances, and then, you know, a few letters and magazines from there. I guess if you keep your fingers crossed for a route, you know, that's a gem (laughs) to catch. I wonder how long you have to deliver at tract houses that all look exactly the same before they're like, you know what? You get to you get you get the meals. You get to do the meals. Yeah, you gotta you gotta drive the car for the job that you want. There you go. Mule. You know what, Andrew? I was inside the box, and you you thank you. I'm climbing right out of it. Any mail route can be a mule mail route. Yeah, ride the mule you want to see in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they're they're. The budgets just work the same way. It's just you just get like hay instead of gasoline for the f- car mail truck. Yeah. Yeah, it's a whole train of them, and uh, and they also have like a fun postmark with a bunch of mules drawn on it, and uh, and just the whole thing depends on this very specific and nice service that like keeps the whole town going. It's amazing. Man, my parents have had the same mail person for I don't know. I'm old. A lot of years. Uh, for her sake, I'll put it at 25, but I think it's north of that. Uh, but I would be endlessly impressed if instead of looking out one day and seeing her familiar tiny truck, it was just like two mules just chilling her mule and the stuff mule. And she just took it on down the road. Man, what a step up, you know, what a, what a glow up, I guess I think the kids say. I don't know who, like anyone else in my life, I might be concerned if they showed up with the mule instead of their car. But, uh, man, our mail lady, that would be so boss. Yeah, and <laughs> rules. <laughs> yeah, I, al- I almost hate to depart them to the next post office, but we have one here that is a secret Manhattan gemstone post office. <laughs> uh, what that means is it's a post office called the Appraiser's Stores Post Office that's uh, in a tower on Fifth Avenue near 47th Street in Manhattan. And uh, I sent you guys a picture of the outside of the building, and you might notice that there are no, like, signs, and there's no markings that it's a post office in there. It's completely secret that on the fourth floor of this building, there's, like, one door that takes you into a post office. And Adam Sandler outside clawing at the doors. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And the reason it's secret is this is the heart of New York's Diamond District. And so for a long time, uh, the merchants uh, have requested and the post office has provided like an office that is totally secret, uh, except that you can Google it, but you can't see it from the street. And it only accepts registered mail and only deals with like heavily privately insured shipments of jewels and gemstones and like diamonds and things. And if you want to enter the post office, if you get there, they do an ID scan and a fingerprinting thing and a whole bunch of uh, very comprehensive security. I've played just enough Red Dead Redemption 2 to say that that is a very good idea. (laughs) Especially when the cranky mail carrier from the, you know, the big city mail carrier has to team up with the mule carrier to solve (laughs) a diamond crime in the Grand Canyon. (laughs) It's just Oh, I was going to say conspire to steal the jewels. Oh, yeah. Again, eat the rich. Take what let's go Robin Hood mail people. If you if you could get those diamonds on them them mules. This is the perfect crime. The perfect crime. Jewel mule. Yeah, sure. See, I know that you mean like the mules carrying diamonds in a bag, but like I, know. I went straight to just like mules heavily adorned with jewels. Oh. Like you know, sick earrings and like a big brooch and like a lovely I- pendant and you know, uh, yeah, just really looks. Servant looks. I thought you were talking about a, a mule swallowing a condom full of diamonds and then. No, there is another way mules can carry things for you, but it wasn't what I was referencing in this. In this. 
pretend that's a person mule. That is a different kind of mule. I don't know the difference. And I am looking for a job <laughs> if anybody is uh, unrelated. <laughs> What uh, another another thing that there's a whole post office for? Uh, this is a, the remote Hawaiian post office that mails coconuts nationwide. Uh, it's in the town of Ho'olehua, Hawaii, nine six seven two nine, on the island of Molokai, which is like the fifth biggest Hawaiian island. Which means like there are the top four are the ones that all the tourists go to, and there, there's a whole tourism industry. And then Molokai is less than ten thousand people. Mostly farming, very little tourism. Uh, but the number one thing on TripAdvisor for the entire island of Molokai is the Ho'olehua post office, where you can get a free coconut and pay 11 to $16 in postage, write anything you want on it, and mail it to people anywhere in the country. Oh, right. Because the coconut's just growing outside or nearby, presumably. And yeah, the money's, the money's in the, the weight of the coconut. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That is amazing. That makes sense. I would be so delighted. I also am the monster who did not think of any, like, I didn't think of sending this to a friend, but to myself. 100% I'm buying this for me. Uh, this is the only child coming truly alive in me where, like, so I got to go to this cool place and now I'm going to ship it back. And when I get home, I'll be like, my coconut. Like, I definitely went to an uncharitable place really fast. Be like, this is mine. That's what I'd write on my coconut. My <laughs> coconut. And then send it to myself. That just rules. <laughs> I would probably do the same thing, honestly. I would honestly probably just send it to, like, whatever hotel on whatever other island I'm, I'm staying at and just, just have it. <laughs> probably eat it. Probably eat it in the next couple days. Yeah, it's true. I do, you know, my intention is to consume the coconut, I presume. Yeah, it's like snack mail. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they've uh, they've mailed more than fifty thousand coconuts since nineteen ninety one. It's called Posta Nut, uh, and we'll have a picture on the the Patreon. It, it looks like they just give people a bunch of colored sharpies and let them go makes nuts sense. on them before uh, they send them. Like it's, it it's very sense. fun. I guess it makes sense that it's the post office. It didn't really like like who else would it be? Like why not? That's exactly the kind of tourist dick that's going to get me through the door. So if there are any tourism advisor consultants out there, know that if you're looking for the the 39-year-old gay lady demo, yep, you got me with mail with post-a-nut. I'm in. You got me. It just feels like this this scheme should be replicated other places. There's a lot of foods. A lot of foods. And a lot of things you could mail, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of growing. Get on it. <laughs> Next thing here is a big trumpet sound for a big takeaway. Before that, we're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. 
What? Hang on. It's hard to explain what happens on Jordan Jesse Go. So I had my kids do it. Saying swear words. Saying swear words. Yeah, um, bad jokes. Bad jokes? Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're going to interview them and then you just stay there like, like really quiet and try and creep them out. <laughs> it's just really boring. Because of Jordan, right? Not me. Because of both of you. Oh. Subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go, a comedy show for grown-ups. When one uh, one more strange, awesome post office here. This is a post office that is in Michigan, and it is a boat, and it is its own zip code. Huh. So just this boat That's is an crazy. entire zip code. Uh, it's called JW Westcott Two, and this boat is based out of Detroit, and it is the zip code four eight two two two. Um, there are more than 41,000 zip codes in the U.S. This is the only one that is floating and just a boat because uh, this boat delivers mail to freighters on the Great Lakes that tend not to do a lot of docking. So as you go through the Detroit River, uh, this boat will uh, like loft your mail to you with ropes and buckets. Uh, and it's its own zip code. It's just the whole thing. Like It looks like a little tugboat in the pictures. Like It's not a very big boat, but it's an entire zip code. What a sweet come-to-life version of a Yo Mama joke. <laughs> <laughs> that is the sweetest real-life iteration of that that I could have possibly imagined. Because <laughs> boats, boats are, are ladies uh, in terms of how we gender them. And, uh... She got her own zip code, uh, but I... That is the most, just the most genuinely pure way that could have come to life. <laughs> it's also, uh, according to Travel and Leisure magazine, uh, this company, the J.W. Westcott Company, has been doing this kind of delivery since 1874. So I don't know when they got the zip code, but it's been like, uh, there's probably like centuries of fathers and sons running this like mailboat company. Wait, and, and, nice. But it's part of the U.S. Postal Service, but it's semi it's got a name. There's a company that runs it. How does that? Yeah, they like work? own the boat, but it is officially a post office. And then the uh, the way you address it is you write the vessel name, Marine Post Office, Detroit, Michigan, four eight two two two. And so then officially it runs through this single boat that is that entire zip code four eight two two two. I know this is less true these days, but I am charmed by how you use how specific you could get with mailing a letter in the past. Like, this goes to Melinda at the Stripey house, so you know the one. <laughs> There's just a past before, like, well, after the post office was a thing, before we got really good at nailing down the specifics of where things are, that mail still got yeah. where it needed to go. It's very impressive. <laughs> we have two more takeaways today, and, and let's go straight into takeaway number two. Post offices were a 200-year-long government scheme to build America. Like at the post office, I don't think people realize how much it laid out towns and infrastructure and like the entire uh, fabric of the country. And one of the ways is the way where like towns kind of organized around their post office. Uh, there's even a thing where there's that guy, Alexis de Tocqueville, who wrote Democracy in America in the 1830s. And it's like one of the main accounts of early America. And he visited the Michigan territory by riding a mail coach. He said, quote, from time to time, we came to a hut in the midst of the forest. This was a post office. That's just like what they were in these towns. Like, oh, we have a hut now, so we get mail. That's yeah. how we work. I mean, I guess it is it is just like, it's a, it's the supply line, like, especially 200 years ago. So it's like, yeah, this is where, this is where you're going to get materials and information and 
that's what you need to continue moving west, killing people. Yeah, there is that element as well, yes. (laughs) It is kind of a piggyback too, right? You know, the post office accomplishes what it does without great infrastructure, right? Give it a mule and a hut and it'll get the job done. And with the supplies it delivers, you can build the pieces of infrastructure. And then the post office folds itself into that infrastructure. It becomes a tiny little diamond dealer in the fourth floor of a building in Manhattan, or it becomes, you know, a large, the biggest building in town or whatever. Uh, And then it uses the freeways that were built around it. But it is, you know, because of its determination to work without huge infrastructure, it'll always be sort of this little spear tip that pushes its way uh ever forward wherever we americans slither (laughs) (laughs) it it is definitely that like unavoidable balance of uh the country was built on stolen land yeah and so every town that has a post office it was stolen land yeah and then also for the people who move into that town it becomes like uh really the center of the town in a lot of ways like I, i don't think everybody knows that uh the postal service didn't start doing home delivery until 1863 like until then, you had to go there to get your mail, and in most places, you still had to for a long time. Uh, so it was the center of the town, like automatically, because mail was the biggest deal in the entire world. Like it was how you talked to anyone. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, it's like if you think you're addicted to your phone now, just think about trying to get a missive in nineteen or eighteen o three. Ooh, you want yeah. that mail? Just hundreds of Americans ringing a post, like lining a post office, just swiping on it, <laughs> swiping, scrolling its walls, trying to see new letters. More, more. <laughs> yeah, that's. I think that that feels right. It's like you should feel about the post office exactly as you feel about America, because it is one and the same. A shiny rock you shouldn't pick up and look at the bottom of if you want to feel the same about it. Right. Yeah. Really. We must have taken this model from elsewhere in society, right? Where did we get the idea to have a post office that did what our post office does? Is this a thing that's everywhere? There's also, there's pretty pretty good sourcing suggesting that another way the post office built the country is that the British postal system in the 1700s, according to historian Jeffrey Brody, was mostly designed to make money. <laughs> like the British put up a postal service for themselves so they could like earn cash. Uh, and 1700s America, the post office was designed to serve as like a political and informational network and like promote democracy and make it so people could learn about stuff. Uh, and according to National Geographic, quote, President George Washington saw the post office as a way to cultivate committed American citizens. Uh, and so then the early post office delivered newspapers extremely cheaply and at a huge loss and then charged merchants a bunch for letters to make up for it. So they were like, running a public postal system mainly to make people educated and like able to vote and able to read and, and like figure out how to be a democracy because it was suddenly a new country. This is a interesting iteration. I guess I hadn't thought about the post office from that framework that like where and why did the idea to run ours this way come from? But it does make sense that giving people information at a loss is, uh, you know, a strategy that really helps uh, spread word if that's what you want to do. <laughs> And that's dead on because there's also a thing where uh, postal jobs uh, through post offices were like most of the government in a way that I don't think people realize in the 1800s. And uh, and this drawn on a National Geographic article called The Tumultuous History of the U.S. Postal Service and its Constant Fight for Survival by Boyce Upholt. Uh, So thank you, Boyce. 
but in uh, in 1831, postal workers were three quarters of all federal employees who were civilians. So other than soldiers, they were three quarters of all the employees. Uh, in 1841, they were more than 79% of the employees, and we had more postmasters than soldiers in the United States. Civil War changed that because then they started building up the army and the government. But uh, but basically, pre-Civil War, the government was kind of just there to deliver mail. That was, that was, that, there, there wasn't really the taxation we have now. Uh, there wasn't a very big military. Like The government was mostly a mail enterprise. And men, now that I'm thinking about it. But uh, you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So there you f- go, originalist conservatives. If, if like, this is the government you want, it should only be post office. Oh, right. Oh, I'm an originalist. I'm a constitutionalist. Fuck you. You should be all male. Male only. Yeah, we're wrong about bureaucrats, too. Uh, it's actually kind of amazing to be a civil servant that keeps things running and civil planning is really, really hard. But we have this idea that like, oh, moochers, pencil pushers, like, well, no, that's kind of a, that's somebody who devoted their entire career to the betterment of society. But sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And also the constitution let the new federal government build post roads. Like that was something the federal government was allowed to do. So then by 1823, they built more than 80,000 miles of post roads. Because they were like, okay, let's just interconnect everything. That's something we can do. Uh, and then also the post office gave contracts to like throw mail into the trunk to stagecoach lines and steamboats and railroads and to this day airlines. Like if you, I know, I know no one flies now, but uh, if you do, you could look out the plane and see them like loading mail into the cargo hold sometimes. It's uh, such an interesting um yeah, thing to think about the roots of that. That's not a new idea. It's just a pro- uh, a uh, thing that didn't stop. That it's not like airlines hustled over to the post office and was like, "Hey, we got a great idea." It's like the post office has been throwing letters at every moving object <laughs> since <laughs> it was a thing. <laughs> like, hey, there's, there's a kid pushing a hula hoop with a stick. Put a letter on it. <laughs> What's well, also like the f- idiots who are like, "Oh, the government should be run like a business." At the first example of a government that a portion of the government that actually was being run as a successful business, they're like, well, we can't have that because we're invested in trying to destroy the government and maybe society. Um, (laughs) And so they had to destroy it or they're, you know, continuing to try to destroy it. We also we have one more uh, fascinating takeaway here. Takeaway number three. Except for the impact of a 2006 law, the post office to this day has been a really successful business. Like, I, I think people have like a conception that the post office is like inefficient or poorly run or hard to, it has a hard time making money. Uh, there's one law we'll talk about that made it so it is now unprofitable. But until then, even with the internet being around, they were like doing good. They were uh, financially, they were a successful private business. Track record wise, there's a great book by historian Philip F. Rubio, and it's called Undelivered from the Great Postal Strike of 1970 to the Manufactured Crisis of the U.S. Postal Service. Uh, and it covers now, but also when the post office became a business because it was uh, run by the government from literally 1792 uh, all the way to 1971. So like 180 years. Uh, and then there was a massive postal strike in 1970 where over 200,000 postal workers at 671 post offices um, went on strike even though legally they weren't allowed. They were allowed to have a union but not allowed to strike because they were public employees. Uh, and so the government could have fired all of them, but instead they privatized the post office, kept them on the job, and kept it going. 
And so then it became a post office that has like some government reaching into how it's run, but otherwise it's a business that has to make money. And up until around 2007, uh, they could pretty much do it. Like they had to do a universal service obligation uh, delivering to 160 million addresses and they had to turn a profit. And until this law we're about to talk about came up, they were doing fine. They, they more or less made money most years. That's wild. I don't more or less make money most years. <laughs> well done, post office. And it's also, there's also a surprise, I think, where the internet didn't kill it. Like, I think people assume, oh, once email came around, done for. But uh, we'll link to a history of it by the people at Marketplace at NPR. And they said email wasn't a huge hit, especially because online shopping was a huge boost. Like, suddenly they were delivering way more packages all of the time. And so that brought in a lot of money. Like, the internet uh, didn't destroy the postal system. We still have it. It's so funny that people think like my emails, my letters, my 32 versus 29 cents, like is the difference for this organization. And it's not like, I don't know, the pounds of stuff I have delivered at significantly more, but still a great bargain. It's, oh. Yeah, absolutely. So why, what happened with that law that made, why, why isn't it profitable anymore? What done hat? What would what, what we do? <laughs> so this law is from December of 2006. It's called the Postal Accountability and Enhancement Act. Uh, you might have heard of it if you're a John Oliver viewer or a Samantha Bee viewer. They've both done amazing stuff on it recently. Uh, but the quick version is that in December of 2006, there was a just like breezy voice vote in Congress when everybody was going home for Christmas that just kind of, uh, you know, tucked this law through and Bush signed it. And what it did is it capped the prices USPS can charge. So it limited what they can charge, required them to keep delivering six days a week, and it forced them to put aside $5.6 billion per year to cover 50 years of employee pensions and retiree health benefits. Uh, so within 10 years, they needed to stack up 50 years of retirement savings for their employees, which is really hard to do, and no other company or department in the whole country has to do it. Jesus. Uh, and so suddenly they have an artificial money problem ever since then, every year. They haven't turned a profit in 13 years. Rude. Oh, God. Yeah. Right when they're trying to deliver everybody's Christmas gifts. <laughs> so has this, like, has been destroying the postal system, clearly has been a conservative plan since the conservatives had a, the modern conservative movement. Like, yeah. Because there's no other reason to have that that type of restriction um, on a business, that type of rule and regulation that conservatives claim they hate. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, uh, there's a lot of takes on it. This historian, Philip Rubio, it's interesting. He kind of argues that they didn't totally want to destroy it, destroy it, but uh, they had some, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan wars going on and they wanted more money for that. And then also they were just way overconfident about the U.S. economy because the Great Recession was still a year or two away. So at the time, Postmaster John E. Potter said, quote, the Postal Service has never been stronger, and this law enables us to build on our successes. And then in 2006, they had a $900 million surplus. And then every year since then, they've been losing money uh, because they have to save all their retirement money up front. So it's just too hard to do. But also, not to be like, not to be like too happy-go-lucky about it, but I feel like if just this one single law that they breezily did one time can make all this happen, they can just pass another law. Like this isn't like guns where we need a constitutional change or something or, or like some other intractable thing where we need a crazy thing to happen. 
you know, just like bare majority of Congress and the president can turn it around real easy. <laughs> I mean, not easy, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Definitely. That's a breeze, though. That's going to happen within the next five years for sure. And then right. after that time, we will have the recognizable landscape of our country that we have come to depend on. <laughs> Definitely. So I see this coming right around the corner. Yeah. Um, de- for sure. We're not strictly <laughs> speaking he- heading in that direction, <laughs> but, you know. It's possible. Man. It's possible. I hope that someone, again, that your new listener in 2023 listens to me and is like, is that woman wearing a tinfoil hat? She sounds insane. (laughs) I want nothing more than to be wrong. Because there's also, there's one other thing with the law where it, uh, for some reason, made it specific that the Postal Service only deals with letters and packages. But throughout history, the post office has dabbled in like banking and like processing a lot of paperwork for people and like been uh, creative in all these ways, like loading mail on planes and things. So that's also a very easy thing to change legally. Like we just changed the law so they can do, uh, people have suggested they could be banks again. Uh, They could handle hunting and fishing licenses. Uh, You know, we could just like think of a way to keep them going. That's all we need to do. Broadband. They should be our time warner. That would be. There's no reason they should. You did it. This is the first time it's happened, Alex. At the end of the podcast, the discussion actually came up with a good solution to a big problem. I, hats, I, I, that, this is incredible. I've never seen that happen before. Andrew, hats, hats off. That was an exceptional. I'm also saying that because I just heard the idea for the first time. I am um, yeah. sure that somebody will quickly yeah. correct me on Twitter and link me to the many sources I should have found already suggesting this idea. But if you really did just come up with that, you did it. I don't, I'm positive I did it. You, uh, you, oh, well. Congratulations. Well, well, let us know. Let us know. We'll, we'll debate it. Debate me, debate listeners. Debate me, corner. <laughs> Blah. God. Oh. Just immediate fighting with the listenership. Let's do it. Let's let's take them down. Yeah, that's, let's uh, set up a real adversarial relationship with you to your listener immediately, yeah. right out the gate. That's a good way to, if, no. Well. I don't think that's possible. <laughs> that's, not, that's not Alex talking. I don't think anybody tunes in to an Alex product being like, I'm ready to fight. Yeah. This guy's voice gets me so pumped up to fight. Alex's hot takes get me ready to throw fists. I'm set. That's the whole Alex fan base right there. I know you're ready. I can feel you clawing into the steering wheels of your cars as you rage drive, listening to that angry voice of veins popping out on his head as he yells about the post. No, this is about the most cool and tame, sweet mm-hmm audience I can imagine. <laughs> Get pumped, folks. <laughs> That's pretty nice. Folks, that's the main episode for this week. My thanks to Caitlin Gill and Andrew T for getting this whole dang podcast off the ground. Also, I said that's the main episode because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff available to you right now if you support this show on Patreon.com. That's the way you get it. Patrons get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story related to the main episode. This week's bonus topic, Americans Mailing Americans, as in putting themselves like in the U.S. mail, mailing themselves. Visit sifpod.fun to hear about that and to back this entire podcast operation. Also, a surprise, you know, as a special treat, uh, it's like a little premiere thing. We put out two entire episodes of this podcast. So there's a second main episode about cattle 
in the main feed and a second bonus episode about cow tools in the bonus feed. I hope that's not confusing. The point is to give you two entire episodes of the show on launch day. Uh, You know, enjoy. And thank you for exploring U.S. post offices with us in this podcast. Here's one more run through the big takeaways. Takeaway number one, there are tons of strange and cool and unique post offices. Takeaway number two, post offices were a 200-year-long government scheme to build America. And takeaway number three, except for the impact of one 2006 law, the post office is a successful business. Those are the takeaways. We did it. Also, please follow our guests. Be sure to check out Caitlin Gill's stand-up album. It's titled Major, and it's at CaitlinGillComedy.com. Be sure to watch ABC's Mixed-ish online, season one out now, and hear Andrew co-host the Yo! Is This Racist podcast with the wonderful Tawny Newsom on Earwolf in your podcast app. Many research sources this week, here are some key ones. A great article titled, The Tumultuous History of the U.S. Postal Service and Its Constant Fight for Survival, written by Boyce Upholt for National Geographic. A great book titled Undelivered, From the Great Postal Strike of 1970 to the Manufactured Crisis of the U.S. Postal Service, written by historian Philip F. Rubio. Find those and more sources at sifpod.fun. And beyond all that, our theme music is Unbroken, Unshaven by The Budos Band. Get all The Budos Band's music into your life and all the music of their amazing label Daptone Records by visiting daptonerecords.com. Our show logo is by artist Burton Durand. Isn't it sharp? I I sure think so. Find more of Bert's art on Instagram, at Bert Durand. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. Special thanks to Brenda Yang, Kathy Schmidt, Kevin Tanager, Andrew Bridgman, Joe Vikes, Joel Stein, Jason Pargin, and many, many others I'm failing to name for for their enormous help in launching this whole dang podcast. Because, um, this is, this, this is the premiere, and... Uh, before it wraps up, I want to thank hundreds of you, hundreds of you showing up to the Patreon page for this podcast and backing it without any episodes to hear. Like you just plunked down, signed up, did the thing. I am bowled over by that is, is the, the phrase I have found. I'm, I'm just knocked out. I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to you. And I'm excited to kind of go on this journey with you because you, you folks are basically the founders of the show. This is the podcast that I wish existed. You folks are why that's possible. Um, I just can't thank you enough. But yeah, um, I think all that's left for me to say is that we will be back next week with more secretly incredibly fascinating podcasts. So how about that? Talk to you then.